Good morning, creative writing listeners. I have a question for you right off the bat. Do you learn from your past? Do you learn from your mistakes? I like to think that I do. Whenever my wife asks me not to do something, I try to remember it before I do it next time. That corner that I've been in a few times and I know I'm going to overcook it if I don't let off the throttle or brake just right. I try to remember that stuff. The intersection that's always backed up. I try to avoid that like the plague or at least know that I'm going to be splitting lanes. But either I'm really stupid. Hey, hold it right there. I am very, very stupid. Or I just keep experiencing new things that have never happened to me and I'm in a constant state of learning because I just seem to encounter these situations where all my experience and all of my wisdom never pays off. As a result, I try to make the podcast time sensitive and I try to do edits to edit in events that are coming up and kind of stay current because I record these out of order oftentimes. And well, I did it. I lost episode two. I'm re-recording it now and we're going to talk about the word bikers and we're going to talk about first crashes, but unfortunately I won't be bringing you my first guest interview because it's somewhere lost on a hard drive or in the trash or I don't know where it went. could be under that old musty seat that's sitting out there in my garage that's just been eaten away by rats. So regardless, I think you know where today's sob story is going to come from. But let's just go ahead and get this episode kicked off. I'm your host, Branson Stankwell, and this is Creative Writing. Today you'll hear my sob story, all right. We'll also talk about the term bikers. We'll talk about our first crash. Since I'm missing an episode, we'll just talk some malarkey. Maybe some industry news. Maybe we'll talk about some racing. I'm not a racing podcast. Oh, yeah. You just have to turn that little uh, throttle. You know, twist it. Not turn it. If you turn... Oh, don't don't turn... The, oh, my God. I'm so embarrassed. Don't turn the throttle. So, yeah. Last time, I talked about... Uh, Episode one, and how horrible and terrible it was, and I hope you never listen to it. I hope you never have to subject yourself to that horrible episode. But if you do, and if you decide to, well, there's a couple things we talked about that I'll recap here. And brown seats was one of them. And my my love slash hate of the hipster scene and brown seats. And after talking in that episode... <laughs> about how cool you are if you're a hipster and you have a brown seat and you, you don't wear riding clothes or gear, yada, yada. I actually came across a Tumblr account called Vans and Cafe Racers. And I don't know if it's from created by hipsters or if it's created by Vans, but it's just a bunch of people in Vans riding Cafe Racers. And it's saying, hey, either look how cool I am wearing these awesome shoes riding my cool cafe racer, or, hey, look, I'm cool because I'm riding a cafe racer and I only have on these vans. I don't know. Anyway, I actually kind of think I talked about the new hipster trend also, uh, all the women in the bikinis. And I just wanted you to know that the 2015 BMW website featured a couple going down to, it, didn't, it wasn't an abandoned pool, but it did look like they were doing some night swimming. 
The girl jumps in in her bikini. Well, the 2016 BMW website doesn't disappoint either because, as you know, the Mission Impossible film starring Tom Cruise is basically a giant BMW ad. And, of course, on BMW's site, they have a snippet from the movie. There's a girl in a bikini jumping out of a pool. And I think even the Ducati Scrambler ad has a girl in a bikini. So, yeah, bikini, brown seat, brown boots. Mm, I would say aviator glasses, but they're kind of going out of style. It's like the 80s Wayfarer uh, blue blocker. I forget what the hell they're called. Anyway, so that's enough about that. I really went on way too long already. I also talked a little bit about the AIM Expo, which is a bummer because now it's been a few weekends since it passed. But I had listened to an interview with Larry Little, who I believe is the marketing manager or something like that for the AIM Expos. And in his interview, he said that there is no other trade show, or I'm sorry, no other event like AIM Expo that exposes the press and the public to the products available. And as exhibitors, you have two days to showcase your products to the media and then they get the word out and then you have two days to showcase your product to local distributors and the public and whatnot i beg to differ aim is doing really good they've only been around for three years and they're doing a superb job i believe he said they had 567 exhibitors this year which is a huge show however the progressive international motorcycle shows also have a media day and they have a two-day public actually a three-day public it's like two and two and a half days My biggest beef with the IMS is that it's been getting smaller. And when I first started attending eight or nine years ago, it was huge. You not only had every conceivable motorcycle manufacturer there, you also, they would bring their quads, they would bring their side-by-sides, they would bring everything. It was huge. It took up the whole room of the Long Beach, which is the one I attended, the Long Beach Convention Center. They would have stunt shows. They used to have a classic bike. Um, a lot of clubs would show up, and you could. they had a club area, and all the bands and everything, all the performance and and cool club stuff would happen in one room. And then the vendors and the OEMs would be in the other room, and it was huge. It took up the whole thing. Well, now it doesn't quite take up the entirety of one room and it's because it's got a little bit smaller people quit bringing their quads so much they still bring dirt bikes they really have been pushing the side-by-sides lately and they actually have more oem exhibitors than aim does and when i before 2008 when the bottom kind of dropped out of the motorcycle industry a little bit i mean you had buell you had kimco you had a bunch of companies that aren't even around anymore. And, you know, Bramo, Zero, um, Hyosung, every, I mean, anybody that was dropping a new product was there. They had a lot, of, there was Vespa and Piaggio. Of course, the main ones are still there. Triumph still comes, Ducati, KTM, Kawasaki, Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki, Harley Davidson. All of those giant factory OE uh, exhibitors are there. Of course, what's dropped out is some of the smaller exhibitors. Shirai Batteries actually made their debut at the IMS, and I noticed that the smaller guys that have 
mm, boutique stuff. Those guys are still around, but there there's not as many gear vendors there as there used to be. You still have like Twisted Throttle and Tour Tech and all the people that make really popular touring accessories and things like that. All the all the really popular helmet companies are still there. But as far as comparing uh, as saying AIM is the only one with this vendor and public experience, I don't think that's true. And AIM is only three years in. AIM is doing a great job. And the IMS needs a little bit of competition. So I agree that they're, they're on the right path and they're doing the right thing. But AIM didn't even have the Africa Twin. I don't know if they had the the VFR 1200X. I mean, all these things are going to be at Long Beach. Long Beach is a premier media day. The motorcycle industry is headquartered here in Southern California. And so I I don't I I like the fact that AIM did a really good job this year. I don't agree with what they said about being the only exhibition uh exhibit trade show that is not really a trade show so that's my two cents worth but yeah i'm really proud of aim and i hope they keep going maybe i'll go one of these years okay and as far as long beach this year i am not going you the super prestigio is the next day i won't be able to hit it up and go to the super prestigio and you get a crummy lunch and you really don't get to see all the cool stuff that the public gets to see. You know, there's no stunt shows. They might do like a school of rock show or something. But it's it's almost better just to wait till the weekend and go to the show. You still get to see all the same stuff, you know, and you still get the news literally hours after the show opens. So if you you know, you want to have a good time, go go during not during the media day, I guess is what I'm saying. Another thing I lost was some commentary about Sturgis. And that's that was barely timely then. It's really untimely now. But I, I thought it was kind of a neat fact that the DOT this year clocked half a million vehicles in and out of Sturgis. And imagine you're the small mountain town of, you know, 6,600 people. And once a year, 500,000 people come cruising through your town. I'm sorry, not even 500,000 people, 500,000 vehicles. And that did not count people per vehicle. So if you're coming via RV or you're two up on a bike or, you know, cruising in your van, whatever it is, they only counted vehicles. That's half a million vehicles. So I think you could safely say that there was quite a few more than half a million people there. And that only included Sturgis. That didn't include the outlying cities or it wasn't countywide. It was literally just citywide. So... Yeah, a lot of cool stuff happening there. Good for the Harley guys, and who knows if the cruiser segment's picking up. I know not everybody there is on Harley, but seems like people are getting a little bit more interested in American rallies and American bikes, so that's good for America. Go America. Something else I didn't mention last time, but the hill climb and the flat track and the supermoto... Definitely reasons to go to Sturgis if you're not a bagger or customs type person. And I know that, you know, you go to Born Free and it's becoming more and more 70s choppers and that cruiser things coming back into style, whether it's metric or American or British or whatever, you know. But there's other stuff that happens there. And, you know, like, for instance, the Full Throttle Saloon burning down. Who could have seen that coming? (laughs) 
<laughs> except for whoever burned it down. All right. I have to take a small break. I will be back in a moment and enjoy some crummy apple loops. Hey, guess what? I decided not to use Apple Loops. I decided to use an old recording of myself made on a really crummy digital recorder a la like five or six years ago. And uh, then I decided I don't really need to take a break either. Come on. It's a podcast, right? Let me turn that crap off. Okay. So, yeah. I guess I had to take a short break. I had to answer some emails and some phone calls. And uh, I am going to the IMS after all in Long Beach because I will not be able to go to the IMS and then immediately leave from there to go to the Super Prestigio. It's going to be a little bit too much uh, work. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just go Friday morning to Long Beach and go Saturday morning to Vegas. So... All that crap I said earlier about not going because of the crummy free lunch. Well, I guess I am going, and I'm going to get that crummy free lunch. So I get to navigate all that traffic down to Long Beach on Friday morning. Be there by 7.30. Woo, yay me. And the Super Prestigio is also going to be pretty sweet. So I'm really excited to go over there and check that out. All right, I got some little bit of news slash products that I found online I thought was pretty cool and like I said I lost the episode a while back so this I don't know this isn't really 100% current but I have been reading a lot about Royal Enfield and I went to the Hanson Dam ride last weekend and saw a pretty sweet Royal Enfield Continental GT some Bullet 500s all these you know really sweet bikes and I had been reading that Royal Enfield is going to open up 50 dealerships by the end of 2016. And that's not in the U.S. This is in India. So 50 50 Indian dealerships. God damn it. Not India and the motorcycle company, you goofs. India, because that's where they're based. So currently they have 450 across the country. And they have 95% of the market share of motorcycles in India. And apparently Triumph and Harley-Davidson are moving in, uh, making some inroads uh, on Royal Enfield. And the police use them. Of course, almost like every single person that lives there uses them. And I guess probably where I'm guessing that Hero is pretty big. They're supposedly the world's largest motorcycle manufacturer. So wherever Hero is not in India, I'm guessing that Royal Enfield swoops down and picks up the rest of the market share. So along with their increase in 50 dealerships by the end of 2016, they also opened up a Royal Enfield North America in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is in Ohio, for those of you that don't know American geography. And that's right by the... uh, Mexican border. So what's going on with that is they want to have 25 employees by the end of 2017 and they're currently in the fifth ward. I have no idea what the hell that is or the third ward. They're temporarily located in the fifth ward 
and they're building offices in the third ward. Don't ask me what the hell that is. Um, anyway, yeah, they they uh, are gonna when they're completed. I guess what what's gonna take care of is the North American marketing and sales and service and uh, dealership development and things like that. Probably financing and all that great stuff that goes along with, with with creating your network, your dealership network. And maybe we'll see some more dealerships after 2017. We might see uh, some things popping up here and there. But it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I don't know if I already said this, that they are, Triumph and Harley are moving in on Royal Enfield in India uh, with a whole 5% of the market share that <laughs> Royal Enfield doesn't have. And in the States... Royal Enfield's moving into uh, Harley Davidson's backyard, so we'll see how that goes. And I think it's kind of bitching. Get some new new blood in here that's not that common. So and you know make things affordable. I think that's what the future is going to be is affordability. We'll talk about that later because uh, I have something to say about that regarding my experience in the last ten years with motorcycles. So. They got 450 dealerships across India. They're expanding by 50 by the end of 2016. They're also expanding their model lines and they're increasing their motor size to 750. And in the past, they had a lot of 300, 350, uh, 500 uh, CC motors, and 750 is a big jump for them. They're going to have a new model dropping each year, is what they claim. I was reading an Indian magazine that basically made the, that claim that they, they plan to have a new one out every year. The Himalayan, some spy shots of their little Himalayan model has been touring around. They got a 410 Scrambler. They got a 750 parallel twin gearing up, I'm guessing, for a cruiser-style bike. And it's not the Musket V-Twin. If you go to the knee slider and look up... Oh, gosh, I'm going to murder this guy's name. It's Anakit, and I forget his last name, Bardashian... He's got a big ass. His last name is Kardashian. No, it's Anakit, and I forget, Venkatesh or something like that. And this guy created this V-twin. He spliced two motors together to make his. It was It's so awesome. And you go and look at the photos of the wood carvings that he had to make for the casts, for the ca- motor castings and this and that. And I mean, it is like just a piece of art coming together that this guy created. It's such a rad bike. So... They've got their own 750 uh, parallel twin coming. And yeah, so that's some interesting news from them. I found this cool tool called the Neato Tool Organizer. It's a... Let me see who this is by. Inyourzone.com. I-N-U-R-Zone.com. And what the Neato Tool Organizer is, it's like a three-arm little octopus with a clamping base. And it maybe has a magnetic base on it, too. I couldn't tell by looking at it exactly. But it's basically an extra set of hands to help you when you're fooling around, whether it's on a motorcycle or a car or probably even in your basement. There's a magnetic bowl for holding parts like nuts, bolts, sockets, anything you know magnetic your pacemaker whatever whatever there's a magnetic board which will allow you to put magnets and hang up your kids drawings so you can remember how much you love your kids while you're cussing at your motor in your car it's got a phone holder so perhaps your 
watching something on YouTube of how to disconnect the Knudsen valve to pour in more blinker fluid so that you can replace the um, radiator cover and the heat exchanger on your Spadoinkel timer. So it's also got a work light and a funnel. And so, yeah, you can you can play your phone or record yourself, I guess. If you're showing that procedure to someone else, you want to make sure they know how to remove the steering wheel so that they can install it in case of a flat tire. No crummy you take jokes, one wheel dude. Off, you just basically no just replace the wheel with the wheel. So, Boo. yeah, so it's got a phone holder, work light, a funnel, magnetic bowl, a magnetic board, and a really bitching clamping base. And it's called the Neato Tool Organizer, N-E-A-T-O, by InYourZone.com. I think they're an Aussie company, so get in their zone if you want to get the Neato Tool Organizer in your zone. And some cool thing I saw for Harley-Davidson Cruiser Knots was this thing called the Thundermax EFI module for the 96 and the 103 uh, big twins and it doesn't need a computer and it said a Dyna motor which I mean if you know Harley you know Dyna is a family of motorcycles I think what they meant is dynamometer you don't have to put your bike up on the dyno but they said Dyna motor anyway I saw it on Bikernet baggers and they installed it on an 08 FLH TCU. And if you don't know Harley Lingo, that is an Electroglide Ultra Classic. And basically it was a pretty sweet plug-and-play sort of thing where you, you know, the bike, you follow the instructions with the module instead of having to go get your ECU reflashed or anything like that. And... Look pretty, uh, pretty trick. It's got all the instructions on how to calibrate it via, I believe it's your hand controls and maybe how many times you flick the headlights on and off and cycle through your push button on your uh, instrument cluster, all that great stuff. Anyways, and if you're a Harley guy, I think you have to drink two Miller High Lifes and smoke a joint before it's fully calibrated. I'm not sure. You, just, you have to go on Bikernet Baggers and uh, see what the procedures are. But if you're a Harley guy, you want more performance, normally you you throw on a heavy breather kit and some exhaust and Screaming Eagle flame tarred exhaust and then you don't calibrate your EFI module. So your bike runs like crap and it sounds like crap. So there you go. Buy this Thundermax EFI module and do us all a favor. Oh, you know what was on the cover of Cycle News last week was the Vale Marquez conspiracy. And this weekend, Valencia, Spain happened. And Jorge Lorenzo just went ahead and won. So we really don't need to worry about... Let's put this down for a second. I am not a huge MotoGP connoisseur. I haven't even subscribed to cable since the year that Simoncelli was struck in Sepang by Rossi and Edwards. That's the last season of MotoGP that I watched, live at least. And I check out the highlights now and then, and one of my coworkers is a total nut. And so I hear the conspiracy theories 
through everyone else's filter. And it makes, it's like a drama. It's like the WWF or now the WWE. It's, you know, the people live for the drama and not really the racing anymore. Really sucks. It took away from Danny Pedrosa's win <laughs> when the whole Rossi gate went down kicking Marquez, which it really didn't look to me like he kicked him. And I said I'm not going to get into it, so I'm not. But anyway, there's a lot of people that put a whole lot of stock into this it made news on almost every single media outlet that deals with motorcycles or racing or personalities. And there's two guys, borderline geniuses, I might add, over at Front and Chatter, which is the UK's number one biking podcast. And it might be the UK's only podcast. Hell, I'm going to call mine Eastern Los Angeles's number one podcast specifically the san gabriel valley in a particular neighborhood that will remain unmentioned anyways yeah if you go listen to front end chatter they really can back up some of rossi's claims and they go into these conspiracy theories and they go into rossi's manifestos and they kind of examine some of the stuff that he said and you can actually get a really good perspective about what may be going on. So go over and check that out. And it's kind of old hat now since Lorenzo went ahead and won it. But yeah, if you really want to get into it and you were you were steaming mad about that, go check out that podcast. Run and chatter. All right. All right. Breaking news. I just came across something on the knee slider. And it's Yamaha OR2T, four-wheel leaning motorcycle concept. And it's worse looking than a Piaggio because it's got four wheels instead of just three. And it's twice as crummy looking as that, oh God, what the hell was that Honda six-cylinder bike that they had? I'm going to say right now, six-cylinders don't have to look crummy. BMW has a pretty sweet K1600 GT. But that Honda one, if that's the one I'm thinking of, maybe it was Suzuki. Suzuki Stratosphere. Like crap. And I'm sad because Yamaha has been coming out with some pretty trick-ass shit lately. Why did they have to go and do this? The OR2T is a four-wheel leaning motorcycle concept based on the Tesseract, which if I'm not mistaken... That was a concept bike that looked more like a quad, and I think it's a character from Dune, the Tesseracts. So yeah, the Tesseract was a more of a quad-looking concept from 2007, so it sure as hell took him a long time to jump on this. It kind of looks like it's got a semi hossack style front end. Looks like crap. That is the opinion of Barton Stankwell and doesn't reflect the views of creative writing. Probably drives like crap. Again, this is the opinion of Mr. Stankwell, whose statements and opinions do not reflect those of creative writing, having never ridden the vehicle in question. It says it could be a real game changer. Mm. But I think if it's not broke, don't fix it. Two wheels is just fine. You don't need four wheels to make people comfortable with riding. You just need to get them out to actually ride more. So yeah, I don't know. If you want to check it out, go to theneeslider.com and check out the OR2T four-wheeled motorcycle prototype by Yamaha. 
you know, Yamaha just came out with the DT-07 dirt track concept, which looks so awesome. And then they had to come out and do this. I love you, Yamaha, but I hate you. All right, let's get back to the stuff that I had prepared with notes and whatnot. One of the things that happened recently was the Triumph makeover. They made over their Bonnevilles. They got a couple new Thruxtons. And I think they have one called the Street. Damn it. Better notes, man. So they got the Bonnie, the T100, the Scrambler, the Street Twin, and the Thruxtons, which is the Thruxton and the Thruxton R. So far, it looks like the Scrambler still has the air-cooled motor. It's a 865cc, which is a hell of a Scrambler. I mean, that's pretty big. If you go back to the 60s and the 70s, when people were really scrambling on Scramblers before there was dedicated motocross bikes, these things were like 300, 400, 500 max because you can't scramble up a hill and over rocks on no damn 865cc motorcycle that weighs 500 pounds. Come on, man. I don't know if it's ride by wire. I know that, you know, they all have the fuel injection that's kind of hidden in an old school throttle body that looks like a carb. One of the big differences this year is that the new models, the uh, the 1200s, they're, they are uh, water-cooled. And, man, they really did a fabulous job of hiding the radiator right there. I think there used to be an oil cooler in between the front frame tubes where now the radiator sits. And from the side, you can't even see it at all. And from the front, it's pretty discreetly hidden. I think the Yamaha Scrambler has a big, ugly radiator that sticks out front but these are just so well hidden you know these still look like uh, super vintage air-cooled bikes they also have uh, ride by wire and they have traction control and abs which is probably going every bike in the uk is probably going the abs route it's probably a fabulous thing they probably handle like a dream but yeah so they're they're really coming in they're bringing this modern classic they really are making it modern and yay triumph they looked so bitchin my friend loved them and he sent me a couple pictures of some cafe racer like some triumphs that were in full fairing i don't know where they uh where the release was that he saw that or if he went to a dealership or what it was but yeah they looked bitchin i mean they were just so sweet looking so yeah, the 2016's pretty awesome. In other 1200 news, Honda has brought the Viffer 1200X ADV bike out. And uh, all I know right now is that it's got a DCT, TCS, ABS, TCB, RESPECT. Well, DCT is their dual clutch transmission, and TCS is just a traction control system. And, of course, ABS. And I think ABS, I made a note about ABS this year because I noticed that more and more bikes are getting it standard. And I don't know if it's being phased in as part of a safety precaution. A lot of times OEMs will start adding stuff voluntarily before it becomes 
mandatory so that they can work the bugs out and so they can say, hey, look, you don't have to put more restraint or constraints on us. You don't have to make more legislation. We're actively being more safe. So I don't know if that's what what's going on, but let me look here what I wrote down. What else I was impressed that had ABS this year. Oh yeah, I'm working on Harley at work. So I've been perusing a lot of Harleys lately and Harleys had ABS optional on most of their bikes since at least 2014. Some of them before that, some of them all the way back to 2008, I believe. And so here we go. This year, ABS is standard on the switchback, the wide glide, the fat boy low, the heritage soft tail, the soft tail deluxe, the breakout, both V rods, the street glide special, the road glide special, the FLHTCU and L, which is the Electroglide Ultra Classic and Ultra Ultra Classic Low, the Road Glide Ultra and the Ultra Limited and Ultra Limited Low, which is the FLHTK. And I didn't even bother checking the trikes, but I thought it was pretty crazy. On some of these bikes, you know, you get ABS is standard because they're the touring package. And so cruise control is standard. ABS is standard. You know, the, the, the premium features come standard on those big premium tours. But I thought it was interesting that some of those other bikes have it uh, standard and not optional this year. So I don't know if they're moving toward ABS as well. I think a lot of people will be taking BMW's lead and making ABS standard on all bikes. And, you know, it's probably not a bad idea. It's probably a nice thing. I've never ridden a bike with ABS, so I just always lock up the brakes so yeah it's probably pretty sweet when you're like in the wet or in a turn and you want to get on the brakes a little harder than your tires are equipped for or than your lean angle dictates so yay abs and all that great stuff so a couple things that i wrote down but i don't think i really made too many notes for was um the ktm they're getting rid of the rc8 and there's going to be no KTM and Superbike for 2016. They are going to try to develop a vehicle for MotoGP in 2017. So that's pretty exciting. And what else did I have written down here? I guess that was about it. Oh, the Snell. The M2015 phase-in took effect October 1st. So the M2010 production had to cease by 3 31 2015 of this year so i've seen a ton of helmet sales over from you know this whole summer and especially now like this time of the year and it's not because of christmas it's because the new standards went into effect october 1st you can go ahead and read the snell foundation's guidelines and if you have an m2010 helmet it technically hasn't expired yet. Just the new guidelines have come into effect for the 2015 standards. Sorry about that. A naked woman walked through my office space and I had to shut off the recorder. I've completely lost my train of thought. Was I talking about helmets? Since I can't remember a damn thing, I was just thinking five days ago. Yes, that's right. I shut this off for five days. (laughs) 
at least a few hours. Anyway, I, that's a good segue. This ABS thing is, is a brilliant segue into what I wanted to talk about, which was some current technology changes for the 2016 and 2017 year going forward. Um, these are mostly automotive based, but I can guarantee you motorcycles look at what the automobile industry is doing and as a measure to maybe skirt regulation or to just say, hey, look, we're trying to be as safe as automobiles are so you don't need to regulate us as harshly or these technologies have proven to save lives, so why the hell not adopt them as well? So there's a lot of automobile parents that own motorcycle siblings or children, I guess you could say, Honda, BMW, Suzuki, Kawasaki, and until Mitsubishi and Hyundai start making motorcycles, then, you know, we have these guys that, uh, Ducati actually, come on, the Audi, Audi and, BMW and uh, Volkswagen own Ducati, right? So a lot of these guys make these changes and the technology can trickle down into bikes. And so I, I wanted to talk mostly automotive technology, but you know what, it's going to translate sooner or later and it is probably, you know, when, when the parent company does the research and development, it's going to trickle down eventually to motorcycles. So I'm going to use this ABS and helmet segue. I, I can't even remember what I was thinking for that naked chick walk through here, but, uh, yeah, we're going to jump into some automotive technology and how it transfers over to the motorcycle industry and motorcycles in general. All right, well, first off, let me go ahead and explain what the CAFE standards are. CAFE standards are not what vintage motorcycle enthusiasts use to judge their, their post-war motorcycles. The CAFE standards is an acronym for Corporate Average Fuel Economy. And basically, by 2025, the Corporate Average Fuel Economy is mandated to be at 54.5 miles per gallon. Now, this only applies to automobiles, and the reason why I think it's relevant to motorcycles is because more and more motorcycles are seeing technology trickle down from the automotive industry, like BMW has ABS on all of their models. There are several OEs who have ABS and traction control, and BMW, if you look at the S1000, RR, it's got a ton of riding modes. It's got dynamic damping, which has some servos and a whole entire ECU dedicated to that. The Honda Goldwing has airbags. And if you look at most of the big tourers, they all have some sort of, you know, navigation system. They all have ABS. They usually have traction control, cruise control. Um, Honda has dual clutch. So, Basically, all of these add weight. So it's funny. I was reading this article on an oil website, of all things, and uh, I love how they bad-mouthed the call for a higher corporate average fuel economy. But basically, let's go jump in a time machine here and jump back to 2009. In 2009, there was a mandate for a cafe average of 35.5 miles per gallon by 2016. Well, I had a car in 
2006 that was already getting close to 35 miles per gallon. And as it's got a little older, that's gone down a little bit, but it still gets, you know, 34, uh, 30, you know, 33, somewhere around there. And if everything's clean and dialed in, I'm sure it's getting, you know, close to 35. So, but you know, this, this applies to passenger vehicles and light duty trucks. So we're not talking your big work trucks and big pickup trucks. We're talking the majority of the vehicles on the road that people drive, which is passenger vehicles and light duty trucks. And 35.5 is not too bad. And this article in the oil magazine is saying it was from 2011. (laughs) And they were so scared that in five years we wouldn't be able to to do it. And five years is a long ways away for R&D purposes. And that is, it's pretty quick. You don't usually R&D something in five years. But listen, man, we've had the means to be doing this stuff for a long time. It's guys like this, like the oil companies that don't want you to not use less of their product. And actually they go down at the bottom of their article. I love how they stated that there was like 46,000 deaths from people that, you know, would have been uh, saved had they been driving bigger, heavier cars. Well, here's the deal. And this is the cafe standard, although it doesn't apply to motorcycles the companies that make your motorcycles are also companies that make the cars. And I think this stuff will trickle over from the auto division in the following ways. On cars, to achieve this 54.5 mile per gallon standard by 2025, They've been using different substrates. Now, remember I said we were jumping in that Wayback Machine to 2009, and they said by 2016, we got to have a 35.5, and I think we've done it. Basically, what that article was stating is that people in bigger cars survive accidents better, and that we basically can't make safer vehicles that are lighter weight. And when you reduce the weight of a vehicle, they actually become more dangerous and they cost a lot more. And they cite the Chevy Volt and whatnot. And they, they cite some studies done like way back in the eighties about when when you take 500 pounds off a car and it increases deaths by like a thousand or something like that or some ludicrous amount fast forward to 2016 and we've gone through with those cafe standards and i've seen some horrendous crashes and the people walk away and what's happening is that car manufacturers are using lighter weight substrates They're adding a lot more safety features. You know, airbags used to be a luxury item only on luxury cars in the 80s. Now they're mandatory. Cameras were a luxury item, and I believe next year, backup cameras at least, turned mandatory. There's a lot of drive-by-wire throttle. Well, now there's also drive-by-wire steering. And all of these things add weight because they add servo motors, they add sensors they add modules we talked at my work about the car with the most airbags i forget what it was but there's like a ludicrous amount of airbags and 
Uh, there's actually seats now too that are, have airbags deployed straight up behind the knees to keep your knees from going into the dash. It's almost like a, <laughs> I would make a joke about an ejector seat, but that's kind of almost what it is, but it's for your legs. And it pops them up to keep them from going under the dash because when your vehicle crumples, sometimes your legs were getting caught under the dash. And I think that's what the oil magazine was trying to say is that the bigger cars were safer because they didn't crumple and this and that. But you know what? That You can put an egg inside a box and throw the box down the stairs. And the box doesn't break. But you know what? I bet when you open it, that egg doesn't look like it did when you put it in there. So their point is kind of moot. Corp- and corporate average fuel economy and lighter weight vehicles is not unsafe in my opinion. These lighter weight substrates are using... S- you know, we use high-strength steel now. They're using ultra-high-strength steel and ultra-super-high-strength steel. And they've got some materials right now that are so lightweight yet so dense that the first responders are having trouble rescuing people. They're having to rewrite their rescue procedures because their machines don't cut through it. That's how strong the steel is. It's made to deform and crumple in a scientific way that transfers energy around the passengers inside the vehicle from the front of the vehicle to the rear of the vehicle. And it uses design features. I mean, that's been going on since the eighties. We've had crumple zones that began way back in 1980. And nowadays it's mandatory in your vehicle design. You have all, if you open your car and you look at it, and it looks bumpy, and there's ridges here and there, and there's little holes cut here and there in it, and you're wondering why your car looks so ridiculous. Those are crumple zones. You might see ridges like a certain brand of potato chip. You might see divots. You might see indentations or long oval shapes. Those are all designed to transfer the energy in a specific path. So the argument for heavier cars that suck up more gas and how dangerous the cafe standard is is ridiculous. This transfers over to the motorcycles because you're getting more and more safety features transferred over to motorcycles trickling down from the automotive industry. And we've got ABS. I think I mentioned that BMW has its dynamic damping control. There's modules. Not only are there modulators for the hydraulic the hydraulic unit on an ABS system, but there's also wheel sensors or bearings. There's rings. There's a whole bunch of little things that go from the wheels out to the computer and then, you know, from the computer to the modulator. All of that adds weight that's not on a conventional, a non-ABS vehicle. Vehicles attraction control, they have sensors and modules vehicles with, like I said, the BMW with dynamic damping. Hell, the Goldwing even has an airbag on it. And Honda and Harley, they have, and BMW as well, have big touring models that have a whole audio suite on them. All this stuff that adds comfort and safety adds weight. And car manufacturers are getting around it by doing, like what I said, using super ultra high strength steel that cutting tools can't even cut through. 
They're also Swiss cheesing their their components, which is strategically cutting holes here and there. And it's probably in the same places that we would see a dimple before or an elongated um, stamping, like an elongated depression. You can just cut that out. The energy will pass through these. They're, you know, they design stuff as models and then they make prototypes. I mean, they know what where all these things are going to do when you get it. So you get your car and there's a bunch of holes in it. You know, they're, they've all been designed to go there. They're also using different substrates like a lot of new carbon fibers. And I remember the first time I saw a Corvette and a Dodge Viper uh, at the shop and these things, like even the chassis was carbon fiber and fiberglass. And so you don't weld that, you know, you bond it. And a lot of new cars nowadays don't have welds. Every weld adds just a little bit of weight. And, you know, a car might have 3,600 welds all over it. And that's every single one of those weighs something. So they're doing a lot of bonding nowadays, especially because if you have a carbon fiber skin or a carbon fiber panel, and it's going on to like a steel frame or a steel core support or you know any other component that's not the same substrate. They're using chemical bonding. And the chemical bonding is no less strong than metal chemical bonding or weld, you know, metal welding like MIG or TIG. But it just seems, you know, they don't use paste on it, but it seems kind of funny when you think about it. But that's how they're getting around this. And they're using you know, all sorts of cool new, um, comp- you know, all sorts of new compounds. They're also using new design elements, like I mentioned, the Swiss cheese effect. They're also scalloping the edges, where before you might have had like a boxed frame. Well, now you got like a smooth side, and then the other side has notches cut out. If you can imagine like a stegosaurus's back, one side is smooth you know where the spines attached to the body and then the other side is obviously where the scales stick up you know it looks like a dinosaur's back basically or an alligator's back and it's basically the same thing as swiss cheesing a component but on the edge instead of in the middle and aerodynamics plays a big part in the cafe standard Because, of course, the more aerodynamic your car is, the better gas mileage it'll get, the better it cuts through the air, reduces the coefficient of drag. However, a lot of these aerodynamics, the early ones, were heating up the the rest of the components in the car. They were heating up the engine, they were heating up the brakes, even the tires. And basically what they've done is added air curtains and little air diversions to reduce heat from the aero design over the surface area of the car that's making it more fuel efficient. And if some of the cars nowadays kind of remind me of the old Japanese touring cars or the Dutch touring master cars, if you look at anything from like around 2000 forward, some of those touring cars had like wings on the wings and I'm talking about the not a touring car but like a touring race car they had winglets and little air ducts everywhere and even like I'm saying the winglets and the air ducts had air ducts it was so crazy and that's what they're doing nowadays to divert air to keep keep it cool but also keep it efficient and 
the safety features that they keep adding and, and all this uh, extra you know, weight savings that they're trying to do may trickle down to motorcycles with the more stuff that gets added to them. The H2R is a good example of aerodynamics on a motorcycle where they have ringlets, they have winglets sticking out everywhere and there's all sorts of ducting. And you know, every motorcycle basically that has a fairing on it spends hundreds of hours in a wind tunnel, if not thousands of hours to get the get the airflow just right to where it flows around the rider and reconnects the air to make it efficient but also fast and to keep things cool. Now, on a motorcycle, you usually don't have to worry about the brakes because they're down in the air. But you do have to worry a lot about oil, engine, radiator, Stuff like that. Where Where's that going to hit? And even the exhaust. Where's that going to dump out? And where's that going to fit into the airflow? So aerodynamics plays a big part in motorcycling too. Some things that we talked about at my work that were only automobile related, but they're kind of cool. And they may actually someday transfer over to motorcycles. Is disassembled parts for the ease of refinishing. I hate when you uh, order a mirror or something. And you have to take it apart just to paint the outside. Or you have to mask it real good so that you only paint the cover on it and not any any part that's unpainted. So a lot of manufacturers are sending their parts disassembled now. And on motorcycles, this isn't so much an issue unless you have a touring bike such as a Goldwing or a BMW I can't think of any of the other bikes that have multi-layered mirrors. Even the Harleys either have handlebar-mounted mirrors or fairing-mounted mirrors, and they don't have a lot to them. But there's the Goldwings, um, maybe some Suzukis that I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to visualize these parts diagrams in my head as I'm talking. And I do remember BMW, though. They have, you know, the glass is separate because it's articulated and the cover is like similar to a car where you have this housing and then an outer cover and that mounts to the fairing and then the mirror is articulated inside. So yeah, taking that stuff apart for easy refinish, good on you guys. That really has nothing to do with the cafe standard, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, black boxes that they're adding those to cars. I don't think they're going to be adding those to motorcycles per se, but we're going to talk about that in the next episode when we talk about vehicle, intra-vehicle communications. Um, Something cool that has nothing to do with CAFE standards, but has to do sort of with the safety standards, is uh, the 2016 F-150 has this new feature called Pro Trailer Assist, and it's just an example of, you know, cars driving themselves and how that's pretty soon going to be a safety feature. On the Ford F-150 Pro Trailer Assist, when you're backing up a standard trailer and you're looking in the rearview mirror, you turn your wheel to the right and the trailer is going to go to the left. Or you turn it to the left, the trailer is going to go to the right. Basically, you're creating an an inverse of what you, what you, you steer inversely from how you want the trailer to behave. Well... If you you get it if you've ever backed up a trailer. 
It's hard to explain, and I've backed up plenty of trailers. So on the F-150, the Pro Trailer Assist allows you to turn a knob. And now, and I, I believe it's because the steering is not connected via a steering column. I believe it's all electronically controlled steering. I could be wrong about that, but I I think it is. And when you flip this little switch down on your center console, when you're steering the trailer, you turn right, the trailer turns right. You turn left, the trailer turns left. It's basically uh, reverses the steering for you. So when you're backing up your trailer, you don't have to um, do like the jackknife technique, you know, to turn it around. You just... you turn where you want to go and that's where the trailer goes. I thought that was pretty interesting. Another feature that isn't necessarily safety related but does rely on the ability to sense uh, other vehicles is Toyota crawl control. What Toyota crawl control is is if you are driving less than 5 miles an hour in traffic, which in LA and New York is a possibility and a probability, then if as long as you're below five miles an hour, the car will drive itself. And you can text your friends that you're stuck in traffic, or you can work on your presentation since you obviously won't be doing it at the office if you're sitting on the freeway. And you can do your makeup. So yeah, those are two kind of neat new features that came out that are kind of related to automatic driving we already have cars that park themselves and all that great stuff i mean where can we just go from here and at the same time where can you know we get cars that do all this cool luxury stuff and obviously have all these other onboard systems yet we keep them light enough that they're going to be able to get 54 and a half miles per gallon by 2025 yeah motorcycles this some of this stuff might trickle down we're already seeing some carbon fiber being used, but I mean, we might see a lot more of it, or we might see some of these ultra high strength steels, ultra super high strength steels being used on frames or suspensions, you know, in lieu of aluminum because they, they might be stronger and lighter. So, yeah, that was just something interesting that struck me. According to this oil magazine, I hope you don't get struck because if you're in a lightweight vehicle, you're just going to get smashed like a pancake well folks the host has done it again wasted a completely good hour not even talking about the things we had outlined for him we're going to apologize to some of the people that he mentioned in this episode hipsters Sturgis the full throttle saloon yes the whole city of Sturgis by the way Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible film franchise AIM or the American International Motorcycle Expo Larry Little Royal Enfield Yamaha Motor Company the Triumph Motor Company Neato Tools and In Your Zone or maybe it's Inner Zone we need to go to Australia to check it out the makers of the Thunder Max EFI for Harley Davidson's Bikernet Baggers Harley Davidson Motor Company Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, Danny Pedrosa, and Jorge Lorenzo. Congratulations, Jorge, by the way. We'd like to apologize to the couple of guys that run Front End Chatter who are really two stand-up 
media personalities, and we have no business mentioning their names or their great, fantastic podcast on our Low Life One. We'd like to apologize to the Yamaha OR2T or anyone who may have the misfortune of riding it. We'd like to apologize to Honda Motor Company, BMW Motorrad, and the Cafe Standards, as well as the Suzuki Stratosphere. All right, we'll catch you next time when we redo episode number two and actually talk about the things that we have lined up. This is... (laughs) This is Christoph Wacken, and we'll see you next time. So they've got. Fuck, what did I blur, blur, say? Blur, 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 blur. A solid feel when riding in crosswinds. Well, that's silly because motorcycles aren't supposed to feel solid in crosswinds you're supposed to feel like a lot of motorcycles two wheels follow some of the uh, practices especially since several motorcycles such as yamaha i'm sorry such as honda kawasaki bmw it's terrible looking. and um even suzuki i guess let me rewind this this is sucking let me start over